This day in April was Operation Engagement Ring. <laughs> in all honesty, it had started quite a long time earlier than that, but I did, uh, that was the day that I pitched up to the jewelers and walked very nervously into the shop. Haven't done it before. And, <laughs> and, and it hit me. The sparkle, the richness, the gold, the silver, the platinum, the cost, the, just this sense of, wow, there is worth here. It's not just, oh, there's more. In fact, what else hit me the day before I went in was I looked up online, I made the mistake. You know, do you ever Google stuff and then think, what have I done? Do I want to know that? Like, I, I learned about this, all the C's involved with diamonds, the, the, the certification, you get a certificate to prove that it's what it says it is. You get clarity, cut, color, carrot. I've already mentioned cost, I haven't gone about that too much. Um, but all this different stuff that you can know about diamonds, and you probably should know a little bit of if you're thinking of popping the question at any time soon. But there is a lot to know and a lot to study because diamonds, we believe, are worth something. The truth is we, we make them worth something, right? We like rare stuff. We like things that no one else has got because that's where a diamond's worth comes from because other people want them and other people want them purer and better and with better color and bigger. After much deliberation, I chose a diamond that got my attention, but that's not really my point. My point is this, things, we are drawn to things. We give worth to things and worship is that giving worth to God and drawing close to God. At one point, we won't have known that diamonds could come in different shades of color or different levels of purity. Some, someone somewhere would have just discovered one and thought, that's cool, no one else has got that. But we have worked out ways of drawing closer and closer and closer to these things that we want to get to know and that we ascribe value to. But the truth is, God is of value in the first place. We don't give it to him. In fact, we, we hopefully, our lives are an unfolding sense of realizing God's great worth and worshiping him. It's not just God that we draw close to, though, is it? I mean, I don't know if you've got a whiskey collection, but there's a fair few um, different factors about that that you can draw close to and you can study. If you've been thinking about getting a car recently, you can get really involved in the nitty gritty and the detail of what, what is it that makes this car great? Why is it the best? Why is it better than my neighbors? We draw close to things and things get our attention. If you're doing a PhD, you'll probably know only too well what it is to draw close to a subject, draw so close to a subject that no one else really understands what you're talking about when you tell them about your PhD. But you, you at some point in your life have thought this is worth Therefore, something, therefore I will draw close to it. We draw close to things that get our attention, things that matter. We, we give them worth. But, and, and we worship things, I would say, I mean, it's a hard word to use, but I would say we worship things, we give worth to things, draw close to things other than God too. What we're going to see in Psalm 34 in a moment is, is David drawing close to God and just knowing how absolutely wonderful he is. He says um, in the first few verses of Psalm 34, do you want to, if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to, to Psalm 34? Um, so I'm going to hop about it a little bit, and it'll be helpful for you not just to wait for the screen. This is what David says right at the beginning. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. 
let the humble hear and be glad. David knows that he needs to put his all into God. His soul's boast isn't just about, I mean, his soul doesn't talk. His soul's boast is, what's his soul all about? What's, what's right there in his heart? What is number one for him? And he's telling you, my soul makes its boast in God. God wants to be number one. C.S. Lewis says that uh, humanity has a long and terrible history of trying to find happiness in something other than God. And I, I'd say to you, and we're, we're now going to move on in a second to it all being about God, but let me just say, I think we do that. I think we have second bests. I think we, we give our time to things. We give our attention to things, and often those are godly things. But there's a bit of a battle that goes on. Does our soul make its boast in the Lord, or am I too busy just giving attention to the stuff that's around me? David had plenty to, to feel he could boast about other than God. I mean, he had, you'll probably know his story. He had lots of stuff that we'll talk about that wasn't so great. But we can tell from Scripture that he was a handsome guy. He was chosen above all his brothers. He was a giant killer. Seems like a pretty good musician. But for David, here he is in verse 2. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. God is of ultimate worth. God is number one. And wisdom in worship is that. Draw close to God. Know how much he's worth. Study him, get to know him, relate to him more and more. Make him your soul's boast. So to worship God, wisdom in worship is to put God first. It's a heart position, it's a soul position. We believe this theologically, but I wonder how much of my week is spent doing this rather than doing this. Anyone else find, I mean, a screen, I can give you some stats on screen time if I'd research them better, but basically the amount of time we spend looking at this rather than looking at God or looking at whatever phone you've got or laptops or tablets is massive. Theologically, you get putting your soul's boast or, or boasting about God because we've just done it for, for ages. Uh, not long enough, I would say, but for quite a while. And, but here's the deal. Practically, often, we boast about other stuff. We talk about work, we talk about what we know, we, we focus on everything around us, and those are good things from God. Tim Keller says the problem, though, is when good things become ultimate things, when those things that God has given us become things that we substitute for him. Wisdom is wor in worship is put him first. Wisdom in worship is also knowing that we can only worship because of him. You might get the impression, let, let's have a quick look at Psalm 34, it's on the screen there. Um, I'll bless the Lord at all times, his praise shall continue to be on my mouth, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Verse 3, O magnify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me, he delivered me from all my fears, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. You might get the impression that things are going well for David. I mean, we all find it, if you're like me, you find it quite easy to worship God when everything is well. It's not hard to lift up your hands and go, oh, you're great, God, I'm really enjoying this right now, because life is good. Psalm 34 is one of those psalms where we can directly link it to another point in David's life. Psalm 34 and Psalm 56, with 1 Samuel 21, create a bit of a kind of sandwich of experience for David. So we're going to look at 1 Samuel 22, 1 to 15, to get what's going on. 
This, um, we're told in the small, the kind of little print above Psalm 34, that this is a time when David has approached King Achish, also known as Abimelech, depending on which of his names, his royal name or his everyday name you're using. But basically, this is directly linked with 1 Samuel 22, 1 to 15. Um, And it says this, he rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck, struck down his thousands, David his tens of thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before him and pretended to be insane uh, in their hands and made marks of the door on the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, behold, you see this man is mad. Why have you brought him to me? I don't lack madmen, so you've brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence. Shall this fellow come into my house? No, is the answer. David has run away from Saul, scared for his life. He, on the way, has, this is not all of the story, on the way he's deceived the priest, um, told him he's on on, uh, the king's business. He's taken Goliath's sword because he's fearing for his life. And then he's gone to to, to the king, this other king, other than God, and tried to find refuge. They recognize him, and he, his, his heart becomes scared. Psalm 56 is just a little bit before this, and it just talks all the way through that, about being trampled, being oppressed, being afraid. Here is a man who we see in a Psalm, Psalm 34, boldly approaching God. And this is his past. This is not even just his distant past. This is just where he's come from. We see desperation, verse 10. We see weakness in verse 11. We see fear in verse 12. We see pretense in verse 13. We see rejection. Go away, I'm not interested, says King Achish. You know what? If I were David, I might not want to approach God. I'm not sure I'd, I'd feel all that great about myself. I'd be thinking, does God hear me? I don't know. Does God... God does, God knows me and knows my heart. Oh my goodness. But David says in Psalm 34, taste and see, the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Not in King Achish, not in, King, not in anyone else, not in his own strength. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And you've heard it come through in our contributions. We cannot be good enough for God. We just can't. We don't approach worship uh, to God in worship. We don't draw close to him in the belief that it's about us. It just can't possibly be because we're like David. There's a summary of the gospel that says this, the gospel, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That is our unfolding story, uh, a, a sinful and flawed heart, but a good, good, good God. Bits of our character are still being formed. We're still finding out stuff about ourselves. But what we're doing is we're drawing close to God and saying, you are good. We've tasted, we've seen. God, you're good. It's, it's not about me. It's all about you. So church, I want to encourage you. Yes, offer up all of life to him. Make him your number one. But also draw near by grace. Don't let stuff put you off 
sometimes small group worship is awkward. Sometimes worshiping God alone is awkward. Sometimes, well, actually, do you know what? The world, the flesh, and the devil will give you a thousand and one reasons why you should not worship God. But Jesus has died so that you might. You need to know that. Draw near by grace and grace alone. Draw near quickly. Draw near knowing of God's goodness. Off the back of that, I think wisdom in worship is being okay being alone with God. We have fantastic worship leaders in our church. I've really enjoyed our time together this morning. I really enjoy every Sunday pretty much at church. But do you know something? If you attended church on a Sunday morning and a small group, and then you went to a prayer meeting, let's say, each week, and you did nothing in those things other than give your heart to God in worship, draw near to God, so, so none of the coffee, none of the chat, none of the good stuff that God really likes, by the way, but I'm just um, making a point here. If you did nothing other than go, God, you're a God, you're great, let's draw near to you, let's worship you, you would be worshipping God for 5% of the time you are awake. So I'm, I'm letting you have an eight-hour sleep in these calculations, which I know some of you haven't had for a while, but... but 5% is all the time you would be worshipping God for. God wants us to be okay in his presence all the time. We don't actually see the point at which David changes from this fearful man seeking refuge in another king to David shouting out, God, you're great. God, you're good. There's a, I'm sure he didn't write that worship song for other people before he'd met with God alone. I'm arguing slightly from silence, but the point is he went from fearful and scared to a place of saying, come, join me. Psalm 34 is all about that later on. It's come and magnify God with me. Come and get a, be a part of this. It needs to be okay for us to spend every waking moment knowing God's with us and talking to him. David uses deeply personal language. He talks to a God who knows his soul, who knows his fears, who, who knows what it means to be brokenhearted, who knows his afflictions. David isn't against public life. Um, he's written songs for groups to use, which I'm very grateful for. Crowds have sung of him, in fact. Later, armies will march for him. He gets, he gets what it is to do groups, but he also gets what it is to know God with him as, as, he, uh, as he's alone, as he's wandering. He's been with God. He's been with God as he's been in the wilderness, pretending to be nuts. He's been with God as he's been on the run. He's making a heartfelt cry to his heavenly father. And we too need to get caught up in the goodness of God beyond the 5%. And I'm sure many of you are, but I want to challenge you this week. What would it look like to worship God in the different places where you are? It's more than we do together, and we need to not kind of outsource it. Actually, God wants to work with you, do business with you, draw close to you, and you draw close to him in all these different times of our week. Wisdom in worship is also that we are changed when we worship. I want you to imagine for a moment that the Holy Spirit doesn't exist. Now, don't quote this bit of my preach alone, because he definitely does and is absolutely amazing. But for a moment, let's, let's see the perspective of life. No Holy Spirit. Um, there's, a, there's a scientist called, uh, uh, kind of, um, uh, oh, sorry, brain gone blank, very clever woman called Amy Cuddy, 
who talks a lot about nonverbal cues, all the stuff that we do that gives information away about how we're feeling and what we're thinking. And she came up with this idea of power poses. Has anyone heard of this? Anyone? This is a TED, very well-known TED talk. Um, you should have a look at it. But she has this idea of, of power poses. And basically, she wanted to know, what is it, what goes on in our body when we act in certain ways? So she did a, a bit of research with another scientist where they looked at what goes on in your body when you stand in particular ways. So what goes on in your body when you stand like this? They call this the Wonder Woman pose. I wish I had a slightly cooler name. Um, <laughs> the, what goes on in your body when you do the kind of slightly aggressive boss pose? So when you're kind of like this. And, and what goes on in your body when you sit back on a chair with your arms behind your head, but I've been sweating a bit too much to do that, so you'll just have to imagine it. Um, what goes on when you do these power poses? And what you find is two things happen. Two things happen. When you do these power poses for 20 minutes before going into an interview, your cortisol levels, I hope this is OK Science, the TED talk told me it was, the stress, uh, the stress kind of drug in which you can detect in your saliva goes up by, oh, sorry, goes down by 25%. So your body reacts to you being in a particular position by lowering, goes, oh, you're in charge, it's OK, I don't need to respond to this. So lowers your stress drug. Your testosterone goes up, which is known to be a kind of drug associated with dominance, goes up by 20%. This is a very long but quite cool way of saying to you that you actually what you experience changes you. What you experience in yourself as you stand in particular ways like, changes the chemicals going around your body. We also know this from child development. My uh, wife Jill works for a charity dealing with kids who've, been, who've experienced some level of trauma. And one of the kind of well-known things of that is if a child hears all through their early life, you're rubbish, you're never going anywhere, that, that becomes a chatter in their head. And they, they learn that. They, they become what they've experienced. And then they go on to live that out. I'm rubbish, I'm not going to go anywhere. Oh dear, where is me? Until Jesus steps in. But remember, we've forgotten the Holy Spirit for a few minutes. Um, we become what we experience. We shouldn't be surprised when we draw close to God, we become like him. We shouldn't be surprised that when we draw close to God, he brings faith, he, he, kind of faith rises in us. Actually, as we draw near to God, God changes us for our good into his likeness. Now, scripture says that the Holy Spirit does it even better than standing in particular ways can, uh, or trying in our own strength. Let's look at these um, next verses. Scripture says... In fact, scripture doesn't say because I've got slightly out of order. So let's look at what happened with David, sorry. Um, in David's life, we see that when he drew close to God, a whole load of changes happened to him. You can compare, do it in your own time because we're running short of time, but 1 Samuel 21 to Psalm 34, and we can see that he goes from being someone that people sung about to someone that sings about God. He goes from someone that's running away in fear, he's drawing close to God and knowing that God's the only one to fear, and he gets delivered of fear of all else. He's changed from a man who, I hinted at earlier, was involved in lying and conning someone else to get bread to survive as he ran away from Saul, to someone who says in verse 5, those who look to him are radiant, their faces shall never be ashamed. He goes from being hopeless to knowing that God provides. Verse 9, O oh, fear the Lord, all his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. He goes from trusting his own strength, 
from seeking refuge in another god, to, oh, sorry, another king, to trusting God with all his strength. Oh, taste and see, the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. He's able to say in verse 22 of Psalm 34, the Lord redeems the life of his servant. Those who take refuge in him are, are not condemned. Here's the thing. Uh, yeah, sorry, there's a really bad typo in there. Those who take refuge in him are not condemned. Important note. <laughs> I tell you what, let's look at some more scripture and see if that's a little bit more uplifting, shall we? <laughs> the next slide would be great. Here's what happens when you add into this the spirit who God has given us. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 to 18 says this. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. We need to put God above all else. My soul makes his boast in the Lord, says David. We approach based on his goodness. Oh, taste and see, the Lord is good. It's all about his goodness. It can't be about ours. We've been saved, but we still, we, we, we still need him and we still get to enjoy his goodness so much and the, his grace at work in our lives. We need, church, to, to learn to be alone with him beyond the 5%. Lead yourself to worship him. Lead yourself to glory in him. And we can expect to be changed as we meet with him. He's so very good to us. David has discovered this in the context of the mess of life. David can say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my lips. My, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Band, if you'd like to come up, that would be great. This is all about God. As you'll have heard, worship is all about drawing close to him, realizing his greatness and expressing it to him and being intimate with God. But it is also about us. I wonder how you're going to respond. Maybe it's to simply join David in worship. God loves that and deserves that above all else. Maybe other interests have crept in. Actually, maybe there's stuff that's getting your attention that's glistening more than God is in your eyes. It's only in your eyes. He's of ultimate worth. Or maybe you're really struggling with the one-to-one. -one. Maybe he is okay, uh, but actually, where's God the rest of the week? Well, let's, let's talk to him now and ask him to be even more involved in your life. Or maybe you've been doing it in your own strength. It's only God's grace that allows us to draw close to him. Nothing of our own goodness, nothing that we bring. It's God who uh, makes it possible. It's God who saves us, and it's God who changes us. I'm going to pray, and then let's worship again, and let's talk to, to the one in whom our souls make their boast. Father God, you deserve all honour, God. You deserve every breath of our lives and so much more. God, there is none more worthy than you, no one deserves our worship. No one is of greater worth. And God, just now we draw close to you again and we say, you are good. In you we find our refuge. In you we see life. Amen. <laughs>